Go to Romans 8, please. Romans 8 and John 14. Romans 8. We looked at this last week, touched on it some. I want us to go further into it. Romans 8 and 14. 8, 14. For as many as are led by what? By who? By the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. Verse 16, the Spirit itself, or as some translations bring out, I think better, Himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He uses the word children here. He uses the word sons in verse 14, I believe referring to maturity. A child of God can and will have the witness of the Spirit that they are His child when you're born again. You know you've passed from death unto life. you got the love of God in you. I remember when I was born again as a boy, followed my dad down the altar, down the aisle to the altar in the Baptist church. I figured if he needed it, I must need it too. <laughs> Held my dad in high esteem. You know, he taught me how to eat popsicles at two in the morning. Taught me how to uh, get rubber in third gear. <laughs> how to keep my mini bike running and then my motorcycle and on and on and on and on and and I figured, man, if he needs this, I must need it too. And I, I just trailed right behind him and followed him to the altar. And glory to God, got saved. Got born again as a boy. And I remember distinctly going back to school the next day in, uh, I think it was an algebra class, looking around at everybody and thinking how wonderful they were. And that was different. Because, you know, the day before, there were people you liked, and there were people you didn't like, and there were this click and that click and this bully and that. And, and I just looked at everybody and thought, I just love everybody in here. And I thought, boy, something changed in me. And that is how you know you've passed from death unto life, because you love. And even if you've been born again for 30 minutes, you have this witness not a voice, not seeing words written in the sky, not seeing angels. You've got a witness, a knowing, an awareness, a sense, a witness that you are a child of God. But that is not supposed to be the end of the witness that you have. You and I are supposed to grow. Every believer is supposed to grow and learn every day, every week, every month how to be led by the Spirit. And you show me someone who's maturing in the Lord, I'll show you someone who's learned at least some about how to be led by the Spirit. Phyllis and I talk about this all the time. About how... This is not emphasized enough about being led. People ask us sometimes, how did you get this to work so good? And how did you get this to happen? And, and how did you get this financial miracle? And, and how did you see this miracle? And, and with us, the answer should be obvious. You just follow him. Why would you go here instead of there? Because he led here. Why would you do this instead of that? Because he never said anything about that. He led this, and yet, bless people's hearts, you got so-called word people, so-called faith people, they just go from place to place to place to place, trying things out, hoping maybe this is God. They've spent all their money, they've spent their parents' money, they've spent their grandparents' money, they've left stability. Their kids are fit to be tied. This is not okay. I said, this is not okay. And you'll see that instead of being led by the Spirit, people are led by something else. And I'm talking about believers 
are led by something else. What? Read that verse we skipped. We read verse 14. We read verse 16. Read verse 15. What does it say? You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. In the middle of talking about being led by the Spirit, he tells us what spirit we didn't receive. What spirit we're not to be led by. What spirit are we not to be led by? The spirit of fear. Now almost every believer would agree with that. And yet it's happening right and left. Preachers are being led by fear. People that have been saved 40 years are being led by fear. They're making decisions. They're doing things based on fear. And if you're led by fear, you're not led by the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you're led by fear, you're led by the enemy. And he will lead you right into bondage. He will lead you into situations where you'll be stolen from, where things in your life will be killed, maybe your whole life, where things in your life will be destroyed. And yet you got folks that are so both ignorant and proud that they won't admit the last four or five things they tried has just devastated them, impoverished them, hurt their marriage, hurt their kids, and yet they won't admit, I missed it. They got these spiritual excuses. Well, we've got such an important call on our lives that half the forces of hell have been unleashed on us. And, you know, anytime you try to step out and obey God, ooh, It's going to be bad. You're telling me the more fully you obey God, the more cursed you're going to be. It's terrible that so many people believe this and make excuses. No, friend, the path of the just is like the shining light. It gets brighter and brighter and better Oh, come on now. Not darker and darker and harder. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Boy, you wouldn't come to that conclusion from listening to some folks, would you? They talk about, oh, it's hard. Oh. It's so hard. It's so hard. Then you got something the Lord didn't give you. The devil has made you his pack mule. And he will load you until your belly drags the ground. He will load you until you break and quit and fail. And it's sad that people, ministers have done that. I mean until they broke. They call it getting burnt out. Till they just worked night and day and took care of every situation until it was just so heavy they had a breakdown. They broke and talk about how hard it is to obey the Lord. Listen, you have to be disobedient for that to happen to you. I said you have to be disobedient To burn out, to break down, to collapse. You have to disobey God. Either that's true or God is a harsh, cruel taskmaster who will push you until you drop and then kick you and say, Get up, boy, there's work to be done. Get up, hit it. No, that's the devil. I said, that's the devil. And it's sad that people are confused. And they're calling devilish stuff God. How many believe what Jesus said? His yoke is easy. Oh yeah, you're supposed to work. 
but by the grace of God. I mean with the grace on you. Now you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. It's going to be no grace. It's going to be hard. But if you keep doing it for the next 10 years, it's because you're dumb. (laughs) No grace. Sure, there'll be obstacles, there'll be challenges, but when you're in the will of God, you're graced to overcome them all. And you're not supposed to live depressed and down and broken and sad and weak. That's a bad witness. Other people see you like that, particularly unbelievers I'm talking about. It makes them not want to be a believer. Makes them not want to go into the ministry. Because they think, oh, oh, boy, if being in the ministry is being like them, it's awful. You're sad. I want to party. (laughs) And the devil has been successful in keeping millions out of the church and millions out of the ministry because of these lies. When the truth is... There is no better life. There is no better life. There is no greater freedom. There is no greater joy than living for God. If you don't think so, it's because you ain't doing it right. (laughs) We looked at this last week. It'll bear repetition. Job 3. Put it up on the screen for us, please. Job 3.25. Job 3.25 says, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Do you know how many times the Lord told us, Old Testament, New Testament, through a prophet, through a man or woman of God, through an angel, through the Lord Jesus, fear not? Have you ever looked at that? Scores and scores and scores of times. Be not afraid. Be not dismayed. Be strong. Fear not. And yet, I think we've heard it so much until we think it's kind of Jesus' way of saying hi. Howdy. Don't be afraid now. You hear? Just a passing greeting remark or just a little encouragement, you know. Y'all don't be scared now. You hear? (laughs) No, friend. This is not in the Word of God scores and scores and scores of times to be filling space and as a greeting. We touched on this last week. Why do we hear this so much? Why... In the most critical situations, in the midst of the greatest crisis, of all the things God could say to the people that you're reading about, of all the things the angel could have said or Jesus could have said, the first thing he said, he looks at them and says, fear not. Why? Why? Because, friend, this is the one thing that can stop what God wants to do in your life. Why is it the thing he says above all other things? Because it's the thing that can hinder him. Now, a lot of folks don't like to believe this. They say, oh, God's God. He can do anything. Well, he set it up this way, though. And he knows this is the way it should be and supposed to be. And one of the clearest examples are his first covenant people that he brought out of a Egyptian bondage. And you remember that they have been spared from the plagues of all the flies, lice, disease, darkness, death of the firstborn. And they've been brought through the Red Sea. And what do they keep doing every time something goes wrong? They said, oh, we're all going to die out here. What is that? That's fear. Is that okay? No. We know from reading Hebrews, it said that it was finished, the works were finished from the foundation of the world, that they should go in. It was God's plan that they go in, the first generation that came out, that they go into the promised land, but they did not. Now, do you understand that and believe that? 
that it was God's will for the first generation to go in. Then why didn't it happen? I think you need to go over there again. Go back to Hebrews. Some of you are looking at me funny. There's still some of this tradition thinking, oh, no, now if it's the will of God, it's going to happen. Well, in a general sense, that's true. But for you, it may not be true. (laughs) Just because you or me or two or three other people don't obey God doesn't mean the plan of God's going to fail. If you won't do it and I won't do it, he'll find somebody that will. But I don't want nobody taking my place. How about you? I No, I want to do it. (laughs) So his plan will be done. The things he's spoken in prophecy will come to pass. But when it comes to you and I as individuals, just because something's his will for our life does not mean it will automatically happen. We can hinder it. We can get in the way of it. And one of the biggest ways that happens is by yielding to fear. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, you were there not long ago. He said in verse 1, Let us therefore fear, that's reverence, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Can you come short of what God had planned for you? For unto us was the good news preached as well as to them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Does that mean they were supposed to go in? Foreordained that they go in. Did they go in? Verse 6. Seeing, therefore, it remains that some must enter therein, they to whom it was first preached. What was first preached? This good news about how it was finished from the foundation of the world. They entered not in because of unbelief. That's a sad thing, isn't it? Why didn't they go in? We know it was because of unbelief. How did the unbelief arise and perpetuate? They yielded to fear, didn't they? You can hear it every time something had come up. What would they say? Oh, we're going to die. Are they afraid? And so they kept saying it and they kept believing it. And even though it was preordained for them to go in, they all perished out there in the wilderness. What they feared came upon them, didn't it? It happened to them just like they said they were afraid that it would happen. See, fear is a perverted form of faith. You're believing for something to happen. You don't see it. You don't have proof of it in the natural. But you're expecting it to happen, only it's bad. You could be using that same believing to believe for a miracle. That you're going to come out. But the whole world around about us is negative and full of fear. Have you found it out? And I mean most of the stuff around you that you could hear or see or watch or read tries to put fear in you. Have you noticed that? And sadly, a lot of Christians will try to put fear in you. Preachers. Preachers will try to put fear in you. I know a... When Phyllis and I made the move from Tulsa to here. And we finally got it clear in our spirit that we were supposed to start a church. I didn't know that. (laughs) But we found out about it. And we stepped out and believed for the property with no money and no people. And uh, I had, you know, friends that were concerned about us. Even ministers. And I know they didn't mean to, but they tried to put fear in me. They said, Brother Keith, you got a good ministry. Things are going good. You got plenty of invitations. You did doing good financially. Man, you get over there and get hung up with that big building. You get hung up with all those big payments. 
And all those big utilities. What if nobody comes? What if 50 people come? You can't run a place like that on 50 people. Well I reckon you could if the Lord said. You can pay for a place. If nobody in the place gives. If God's your source. Now if the people are your source. And you already got it figured. What the average person is going to give. And you limit yourself to that. Well then you're stuck. They're your source. But people would try to tell me. Oh brother Keith. Oh brother Keith. Mm, I'm concerned for you. What are they trying to do? They're trying to put fear in me. And I had already set up, you know, half a night or so with the calculator and saw that it wouldn't work. I'd already found that out. It don't work. What we're trying to do doesn't work on paper at all. Finally, you know, you have to resist unbelief. You have to resist fear. You can't be passive about it. You sit and listen to stuff too long. It starts getting in you. It starts affecting your mind and your thinking and you don't even realize it. Didn't the Bible warn us about evil communications, corrupt, good manners? Don't think. You can be around stuff and hear it and it not affect you. Don't care who you are, how much you think you know, how strong you think you are. Inescapable. Finally, I heard it one too many times. <laughs> I said, well, I said, I'm a man. I could make a mistake. I could miss it. I know that. I've prayed when we prayed for months here. I've saw, I've checked everything I know to do. This is it. I said, I'd rather step out and fall flat on my face. And if people talk, well, they're going to talk. They're going to talk anyway. They say, ah, look, Brother Keith, he stepped out and fell flat on his face. Well, whoop-de-doo, what does that mean? (laughs) So what? (laughs) I said, I'd rather step out by faith, and if I missed it, fall flat on my face, than to sit back in the corner too scared to obey God, too full of fear to step out and do anything. Life is short. And if you let fear run your life, it will put you in prison. It will lock you up. Didn't we just read it? The spirit of bondage again to fear. There are people, Christians. I've ministered to some of these folk in the healing school some years back. They're afraid to leave the house. They're afraid to breathe the air. They're afraid for anybody to touch them. They're afraid of germs. They're afraid of contaminants. They're afraid of preservatives. They're afraid of stuff in the water. Well, let me give you a revelation. There's stuff in the water. Oh, yeah. There's enough stuff in this air right here to kill you 90 times over. (laughs) There's stuff in the food. Even your special food. There's stuff in there, too. (laughs) no but I sanitize it there's stuff in your sanitizer (laughs) no but I wore gloves there's stuff in your gloves (laughs) and in your mask (laughs) (laughs) it's sad people are in prison they're in prison won't even leave their apartment, won't even go outside the door, won't fellowship with their family, won't go to church, their occupation, their profession has been ruined. Fear. I said fear. Fear puts you in bondage. But it covers a whole lot of areas other than the ones, the phobias you hear about and think about. Believers are acting on fears. Preachers are acting on fears. And what's the principle of fear? What you fear will come on you. Go to James again. This, I know, how many have heard teaching on fear before? Let me see. All right, good, good. But do not presume 
you know all there is to know about it. I'm telling you, this is pervasive. The earth is full of this. And it's way too much in the church. And the problem is, it's so common, people don't notice it. People talk fear and act fear, and other folk don't even see it. They think it's normal. Because we've been so immersed in it for so long. In James, the second chapter, James 2, he said, down about verse 25, I guess, James 2, uh, back up to verse 17. He said, faith, if it has not works, is what? It's dead. Being alone. What does that mean? How much results does dead faith produce? Hmm? How much healing can you get with dead faith? How many bills can you get paid with dead faith? Dead faith produces no results. Only living faith. In verse 26, as the body without the spirit is what? Dead. Now that's the perfect picture, isn't it? How much work does a dead body do? Hmm? What does a dead body participate in? Nothing. So faith without works or action is dead also. You can have faith in you, but unless you act on it, it'll produce no results. It's dead faith. Only living faith gets miracles. Gets results. Like when the woman with the issue of blood said, If I may touch but the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. But notice she didn't just sit in her house and think about it. What did she do? She found him. In her weakened condition, she pushed. She pressed. What is that? That's living faith. A faith that believes it's so strong, that is persuaded so much, that it'll act on it. And when you act on it, that's what activates the power of God flow. Oh, come on. How many know that's true? When she reached through and she touched, when she touched, didn't say just when she believed, when she touched. Well, she touched because she believed. But she didn't have anything happen until she touched. Then the power flowed. When did the power flow? When she touched. Now, she believed before she ever got the chance to touch. But she wasn't healed until she touched. Jesus told the man with the withered hand, stretch forth your hand. I know I read that some years ago, and I kept thinking he meant extend your arm. He didn't say extend your arm. He said stretch forth your hand. That's the part that's withered. You can't do that. No telling how many times he had tried to make that hand work, but it's withered, it's drawn. That's the problem. And yet the Lord tells him, stretch forth your hand. Now unless you believe something, you're not going to even put forth an effort. You start making excuses going, well, I've been trying to make that old hand work for 25 years, and that's the problem. If you'll heal it, I'll stretch it out. (laughs) But that's not how faith works, is it? He believed. What Jesus told him. Faith comes by hearing. Something came into him when he heard that word. And so even though he had tried to make that hand work. Who knows how many thousands of times. Through the days and months and years. Still he stuck that hand out there. And he began to try to make that thing work. And when he reached the end of his ability. To stretch it out. He met the power of God. Oh glory to God. When did he meet the power of God? Not just when he believed, when he acted on what he believed. Faith without action. Faith without acting on what you say you believe is dead. If you're on the high dive and we're at the bottom, we say, jump, we'll catch you. And you say, Brother Keith, I got as much confidence in you as anybody around here. I believe you can do it. And I believe you're a man of your word. 
I believe if you say you'll catch me, you'll catch me. And I believe in God's power that he'd help you to catch me. So then jump. Brother Keith, I believe in you. I have confidence. You can talk all day long. And until you jump, what do we know? You don't believe. It's just talk. You understand? You can say you believe and yet not believe. You can say I believe. That doesn't mean you do. But when you jump, the whole crowd looks at each other and goes, he believes. Right? He sailed off of there. He's believing something. Proven. Proven. We understand this. At least we're growing to understand it in faith. But here's the point. Exactly what's true about acting on faith is true about acting on fear. If you act on a fear, the devil has the right to manifest supernatural power to steal, kill, and destroy. Just like when you act on faith, God has the right to manifest supernatural power to heal, to deliver, to provide, to protect. We haven't seen how serious, how dangerous acting on a fear is. As wonderful as acting on faith is, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk by acting on faith. Was true then, is true now. By the same token, if you act on a fear, it opens the door to the destroyer in your life. It gives him a right to work ruin in your relationships. Go with me. Were you holding a place before we went to James? Where were you? John 14. That's a good place to hold. Just keep holding it. Go with me, please, to the book of Isaiah 7. In fact, you just turn loose of that place for right now because you're going to need your fingers to hold something else. Isaiah 7, and then also go to Psalm 62. Do you believe it's a serious thing to act on a fear? There are a lot of folks that are no longer with us that should still be alive because they acted on a fear. They acted on a fear. I'm a pilot, and we train a couple of times a year, and they put you in the simulator, and uh, we study crashes. And uh, I want to find out what they did wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so there is something better than learning from your own mistakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's learning from somebody else's yeah. mistakes, and you not making them. Because some mistakes you can only make one time. Yeah. And then there's no more opportunity. And... Something they cautioned us in. Of course, the faster the plane moves, the faster you have to think to stay ahead of it. But you can get tricked into thinking you have to move fast. And there's a problem in the cockpit they call fast hands. And what it is, is moving too fast. Flipping the wrong switch. Because you got scared. There's been cases where... People took off and they lost an engine on a twin engine airplane. On most twins, especially jets, that's really not that big of a deal. You can fly right on, on one engine. But the pilot was startled and reached over and shut down the wrong one. Now you can do okay on one, but (laughs) with no engines, (laughs) you're coming down. And they just reached over and grabbed, you know, got two throttles there, right and left, and they grabbed the wrong one and shut it off. Well, the problem is, if you're low to the ground, you ain't got time to get that baby going again. You're in trouble. And we'd begin to examine things that you say, well, you've got a minute to deal with this. You've got 30 seconds. That don't sound like much, but you start counting. One, two, three. 
three, four. You got plenty of time to reach over here and turn a knob and move a switch. But if you move the wrong one, you don't have enough time to make it up. People are dead because of fear. How many times have we heard about car accidents and wrecks? Somebody ran off the road. No telling how many people have been killed by simply running off the road. And any of you ever run off the road before? I have too for doing dumb stuff. <laughs> Driving too fast. And a lot of times if you'll just let her go. Don't do anything crazy. Don't hit the brakes. Don't jerk the wheel. You'll be able to get it back up on the road eventually. But if you go, oh, you may be dead. Now, I'm using different natural examples, but why would you grab the wheel and go, ah? Not just fear. Not just fear. You acted on your fear. You're not dead because you got afraid. You would be dead because you acted on the fear. When is it okay to act on a fear? Help me out here. Never. Never. I don't care what's going on. Never are you supposed to act on a fear. Never. Never is it okay. Never is it reasonable. Never is it the right thing to do. Never, 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 never. Now we've got centuries of wrong mentality we've got to get rid of and get our minds renewed. Because people, our churches have been taught. I've seen it on church signs. A little bit of fear is good. Little bit of fear keep you alive. Little bit of fear. No, 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 it's a lie. I said it's a lie. It's deception. Never are you to act on a fear. Acting on a fear gives the devil a right to do stuff in your life. Just like acting on faith gives God the right. Do we believe in walking by faith? Do we believe in living by faith? Do you, are you fully convinced that if you'll believe what he said and act on what he said, that he can manifest himself in your life and meet your needs and do things? Well, why wouldn't we understand it can work the other way if we act on a fear? It's not just having faith. It's acting on the faith. And it's not just having a fear. It's acting on the fear. Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7 and verse 2. It said, It was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. Well, this is, they thought they were just dealing with one. Now they got both. This is overwhelming superiority in the number of the enemy. And his heart was what? Moved. And the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. It wasn't just fear, but the fear was doing what to them? It was moving them. It moved them in their heart. And if it moves you in your heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. If it moves you in your heart, it'll move your mouth. If it's moving your heart and your mouth, it'll move your decisions. You'll move. And have you noticed this? How many times the scripture, for instance, in the Psalms, are you in Psalm 62? Without me saying it, just go there and read it. Psalm 62 and verse 1. Truly, my soul waits upon God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He's my defense. What? I shall not be greatly moved. This should already have more meaning to you. What does it mean, I shall not be moved? Another way of saying it, I will not act on this fear. Say it out loud, I shall not be moved. I will not act. On fear. fear. Keep reading. 
How long will you imagine mischief against a man? You'll be slain all of you. Talking about the enemy. As a bowing wall shall you be. As a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth. They curse inwardly. And of course the enemy would try to use all this stuff to do what to you? Scare you. Move you. Verse 5. My soul, wait thou only upon God. Is he talking to his soul? Yes. Sometimes you got to talk to yourself. If you feel afraid, if something's trying to shake you, sometimes you need to talk to yourself and say, soul, uh-uh, uh-uh. Now you wait on God. You wait till you get something from him. I'm waiting only on God. I only move when I get something from him. Keep reading. My expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. He says it again. What? I shall not be moved. I shall not be. Friend, this is safety. This is real divine protection. And I'm going to say something real bold, and people may not have thought about it before, but I'm telling you, you can confess the 91st Psalm, you can have it all over your walls, you can pray in tongues, and if you act on fear, you can be destroyed. The whole point of these things is so that when fear comes, you're not moved. It's when you stand up in the middle of it and say, I do dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And it won't come near me. And I won't let this move me. Now, you can be in situations where things are screaming at you to move. You got to do something. You got to run. You got to go see about it. You got to go make it quit. And so many times, you can't. You can't fix it. You can't make it quit. And you running around, scared. Not only is it not going to help, but it throws the other door open for the destroyer to come right on in and finish the job. This is life and death. This is life and death. This is being protected or being destroyed. This is having your needs met or going under. This is where it's won or lost. Friend, get this seared into your spirit tonight. I shall not be moved. You got to say it when your knees are bumping together. You got to say it when the hair is standing up on your arms in the back of your neck. You got to say it when the sirens are screaming. You got to say it when people are screaming and crying. Come on now. You got to say it when you've heard the worst report you've ever heard in your life. You got to say it. I shall not be moved. Even if a thousand fall at my side and ten thousand fall over here, it won't come to me. This doesn't move me. Now, it's easy to sit in here in air-conditioned comfort (laughs) with fellow believers and say, I won't be moved. But I'm telling you, you will be tempted to be moved. Don't care who you are, what you think you know. There are times in life where everything is piling up to move you and the force feels formidable. And everything about your flesh and your mind is screaming, do something, do something, do something, do something. But friend, if you do something out of fear, you could die. You could perish. Your child could perish. You could go under. Because acting on fear is no small thing. It's as powerful Negatively, as acting on faith is. Positively. Why else would the devil work so hard all the time to try to move us? 
to get us to act on a fear. Why? Because he's powerless unless he can get us to do it. The book of Job shows that. For all these years, all these decades, Job has been kept. He's been spared. He's been protected. Why? Because God has put a hedge about everything that he's got. He's living in peace. But fears begin to work in him. They begin to grip him. He becomes panicky and fearful. And every time his kids do something or go somewhere, he goes, oh, 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 wonder what they did. Wonder what they did. Uh oh. All his children died. I said, all his children died. Why? The devil is the one that did it. Very clear. The Bible says he's the one that did it. Yeah, but why was he able to do it? What changed? They hadn't died the year before, or the year before, or 10 years before, or 20 years before. What changed? Fear. Now, friend, you must not make decisions about your children based on fear. Well, we live in a dangerous world, and I'm afraid for them. What? 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 You're a believer. You got no business with any fear. I can't let them go over there. I'm afraid that such and such happened. I can't let them be a part of that. I'm afraid they'll do this. I'm afraid. I can't let them go to school. I'm afraid of what might happen. If the Lord directs you to do something, then you do it because he directed you to do it, not because you're afraid of these other things. You understand, if you are full of fear, the devil can destroy your child behind 11-foot concrete walls while you homeschool them. A wall will not keep him out. And your door at your house won't keep him out. And as soon as they get to where they can leave, if you've been suffocating them with fear, they're gone. And not having understood any of these things, they may go out and do some stupid stuff and open the door to the enemy. Friend, This covers so many areas. You know why people steal? You know why people lie? You know why people are mean to each other? So many times. It's this. Fear. Fear. Husbands and wives can be so cruel to each other. And so many times the reason why they're acting the way they do, unreasonable, unreasonable, irrational, is because they're afraid. They're afraid you're going to leave me. Won't tell the truth. Lie. Why? Because they have more faith that if I'll tell this lie, I can get by, than they have in God giving me favor and gracing me and getting me through if I tell the truth. They're afraid if they tell the truth, they won't make it. And if you act on a fear, oh man, now you have opened the door for the devil to bring accusations between you and them, to work and bring thoughts to your minds and feelings. Go with me to... uh, Genesis 18th chapter, please. Genesis 18. The Lord is visiting Abram and Sarah's house. And uh, he gives them a word about their, their future. Genesis 18. Verse 9. He said, where's Sarah, your wife? He said, she's in the tent. Verse 10, he says, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, your wife will have a son. 
Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well stricken in age. It ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, and she said, After I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, "Uh, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child, which I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 15, Sarah denied. She said, No, 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 I didn't laugh. She's lying. For there are few things more serious before God than lying. Oh, he hates it. If you don't know it, you need to re-educate yourself. Absolutely one of the worst things you can do on the planet is tell a lie as far as God's concerned. He said, why did she laugh? And she denied, and she said, I didn't laugh. Now, come on, tell me, why did she lie? Read the next phrase. Why did she lie? Because she's afraid. wonder how many people have told lies because they were afraid but here's the problem if you are lying to your spouse you say well they can't handle the truth who told you it was an option the Lord never told you it was an option to tell somebody something other than the truth if you lie to somebody for fear of the truth coming out You have opened the door for the enemy to destroy your relationship. Did you hear me now? Why do people steal? They're afraid they'll never have it if they don't just take it. They're afraid they won't get to do what they want. So they lie. So they steal. And friend, when you're lying and stealing, that's the enemy's territory. You're giving place to him. You're inviting him into your house, into your marriage, into your family. You're yielding to him. To yield means to act on something. Selah. Is it okay to act on a fear? Ever. Ever. Well, I, I, I can't do that. I can't go over there. I'm afraid this would happen. Or I'm afraid... That won't happen. I've talked to preachers. I've talked to ministers. They won't preach what God puts on their heart. They're afraid people will leave. They won't step out on the projects the Lord's given them to step out on. They're afraid people will quit giving. They're afraid the money will stop. They're afraid. So now the preacher, and therefore the church, is no longer being led by the Holy Spirit. If you're being led by fear, you're not being led by the Lord any longer. If you're being led by fear, who's leading you? Come on, help me out. Who's le- The enemy. Where's he going to lead you? He's going to lead you into stealing and killing and destroying. He's going to lead you into destruction. We must, if we're going to be victorious, if we're going to shut the door to the devil and keep him out, we must take this seriously And not yield to a fear ever. When you realize that you're starting to do something because you're afraid of something else, man, you gotta stop. You gotta get a hold of yourself and say, wait, wait, wait. Now why am I doing this? Why am I not going? Why am I not letting them go? Why? If the Lord checks you, don't go, then you don't go. But it didn't have to be anything to do with fear. If the Lord checks you, don't be a part of that, don't get involved in that, then don't do it. But it doesn't have to have any fear in it. None. Now let me go to 1 John. 1 John. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. I sense that something is happening in people's hearts and minds. This is going to grow in you. This is going to grow in you. It's going to show up day to day. And you're going to stop acting on fears. You're going to recognize things you hadn't been seeing before. And you're going to go, whoa, whoa, wait up, wait up. That's fear. I can't act on it now. I can't do that now. That's fear. I'm not led by fear. I'm led by the Spirit of God. And no matter what happens, by the grace of God, I shall not 
be moved. 1 John 4, 18. 4, 18. There is no fear in love. Of course, God is love. How much fear is there in God? None. None. So if you're flowing in the spirit of God, how much fear is there? If you're operating in the plan of God, how much fear is there in the plan of God? In the things of God. There's no fear in the things of God or the plans of God or leading of God because there's no fear in God. Because there's no fear in love. No fear. Somebody say no fear. No fear. But perfect love, full complete love, casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. This covers a lot of areas, but one of them is you don't know how much God loves you. Not just a matter of you walking in love. He didn't just limit it to that. It's being perfected in love, period. You need to know how much God loves you. If you know how much He loves you, you know He's not going to let you down. You know He's going to take care of you. You don't have to be afraid. But how can you tell that you're yielding to fear? Here's an acid test. It's enough to talk about it in generalities here tonight, but how can you tell tonight or tomorrow when something's coming up that fear is working on you and fear is trying to move you to act, which would give the enemy access to your life? How can you tell? Fear has torment. You're tormented thinking about what could happen to your kids. You're tormented thinking about what could happen to your finances. You're tormented thinking about what they might find out and what might happen and what your husband might do or what your wife might do. I wish I was talking about unbelievers, but Christians, Christians are living in this torment. And if you're in the torment, it's because you're in the fear. Somebody said, what do I do? You make up your mind right now that you'll never tell another lie as long as you live if you die for telling the truth. Did you hear me? I said you make up your mind right here tonight. You will never tell another lie as long as you live if it costs you everything. If it costs you your life, you will not lie. If you don't make that stand, I'm sorry to tell you that the enemy is going to have access to your life from now on. you got to believe God that the truth is the only way. And you got to cast your fears aside. Well, what if they write me off? What if they kick me out? What if they do this? Well, even if they do, you got to believe God <laughs> that he can take care of you. And not be afraid. Hmm? What if they fire me? Well, they may not. God's a merciful God. He's a gracious God, especially if people will believe Him. But even if they do, you got to believe that He'll take care of you anyhow. Hmm? Not be afraid. What am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? That's all fear. What am I going to do? All fear. If you're led by fear, you're not led by the Lord. Should I go to the doctor? Should I not? Should I have the operation? Should I not? I've seen people that were afraid to, you know, not to have the operation. The Lord let them don't do it. Thinking of a man right now, a wonderful man. He told me, he said, the Lord told me not to have it. And this is a man who knew something about the Lord. Which is why I was shocked a few months later when I heard he was going to do it. I thought, what? Very serious operation. He said, yeah, well, he said, you know, my kids, they are so concerned about me. And they're just insisting that I have it. Why? Why? They're afraid daddy may die 
and we wouldn't have done everything we could have done. And they pushed the man until he overrode his conscience and died on the table. Good man loves the Lord. Why wasn't the Lord able to keep him? Because when he acted on that fear, you opened the door to the destroyer. Now, on the other hand, we were in a place up northeast, and the Lord gave Phyllis a word of knowledge about a lady that was there, and that she was should have an operation, and for you to come talk to me. And so, so she did. I guess you ministered to her, and I guess you talked to her as well. And she was a woman who knew something about the word, but she was not going to have the operation because she was afraid to. Are y'all listening tonight now? Not having an operation because you're afraid to have it has got nothing to do with faith. Having an operation because you're afraid you'll perish if you don't has got nothing to do with faith. Thank God she, uh, Phyllis talked to her some and told her what the Lord said. and She re-examined it and saw that it was just fear. She'd been calling it faith, but it was just fear why she wasn't doing these things. She went to the doctor the next day. They told her if she'd have been, what, just a few days later, it'd have been too late. She came right out of it. Had the procedure. It's fine. Glory to God. What's the solution? What should I do? You should be led by the Spirit of God. And you should not do one thing because anybody tries to scare you, including professionals I don't care what field you're talking about don't let anybody try to push you or pressure you into doing something out of fear it's dangerous it's one of the most dangerous things you can do on the planet dangerous say it out loud again I will not be moved by fear finally go to Colossians, please. We'll close with this. I think. No guarantees. Colossians. Third chapter. Put up 1 Thessalonians 5.23 on the screen while everybody's turning to Colossians 3. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He said, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many like the sound of that? Your whole being being kept all the way from here to the end of your race and course and until his coming. How many like the idea of that? Being kept, being preserved, being protected. Notice who's going to do it. The God of peace. peace. Now that's just about as opposite of fear as you can get. Who can keep you? Your spirit, your soul, your body, your whole life. Who can keep you in the midst of a crazy wild world? Can keep you protected and healed and and safe and, and provided for the God of peace. Now in Colossians 3, have you found that? Colossians 3.15. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God do what? Rule in your hearts. You know, Jesus said, Don't let your heart be afraid, didn't he? Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. He said, my peace I give you. If he said, don't let your heart be troubled, don't let your heart be afraid, is he saying try? What's he saying? Don't let you are not to allow your heart to be troubled or afraid. You think most Christians believe that they have it within their power to never be troubled or afraid? No. No. No, they don't believe it at all. And yet, why did Jesus say it? Come on, receive the words of the Master tonight. Just like he's looking at you and called your name. And says, John, Susie, Bob, Tom, do not let your heart be afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled. Take my peace. 
My peace I'm giving to you. Glory to God. Then if he has given us the very peace he himself walked in on the earth, why wouldn't it be possible that though the storms raged, though problems and curse and terror was all around, could you stand in the midst of it and say, I will not be moved. I've got the peace of God. And I'm not doing one thing except what I hear from him. I don't care what I see. I don't care what I feel. I will not be moved by these things. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Listen to the Amplified. Amplified translation of this. Let the peace from Christ rule, act as umpire continually in your hearts. Deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds. What's calling the shots? What does the umpire do? What does he call? (laughs) He calls safe. Or he calls out. He calls it. And when he calls it, it don't make any difference how you feel about it. Because the ump has called it. I thought that was in. Well, you keep hollering and you can be out of here. Because when the ump calls it, that's what it is. Got nothing to do with what you thought you saw or how you think you feel. You got something in you. Jesus has given you and I his very own peace. Oh, we got the peace of God in us because we got the spirit of peace. The God of peace, the Holy Spirit of peace lives in you, in me. He's in you. He's in me. So when something comes up and tries to shake us and try to move us, what do we do? We look for the ump. (laughs) Don't act on a fear. Don't act on a need. Don't act on a demand. Don't act on pressure. Don't act on statistics. Don't act on deadlines. Don't act on the news. Where's the ump? Ump, you got to come call this. Do I go or do I stay? (laughs) Do I do something or do I do nothing? Ump, you got to call this. Who's the ump? Come on, help me out. Who's the ump? The ump is the peace of God. And as you're looking at situations... If it's right for you to do, the peace of God will be there. And the more you think about it, and the more you pray about it, the more peace you'll have. That's the witness of the Spirit. That's the leading of the Spirit. If the peace is not there, the more you look at it. Maybe everything out here is screaming for you to do it, but in here you just can't be settled about doing it. Something's not right. And the more you try to make it be right, it's just not right. That's the up saying, "Uh uh-uh, no. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Say it out loud. I will not not be moved by fear. fear. I will will follow the peace of God God in everything, everything. every day. day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries, and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.